Welcome to Songs You Should Know. I'm Jimbo. And I'm the Mixter. And this is 1981, episode number eight, highlights from 1981. We're coming to you from the Songs You Should Know world headquarters located in a secret bunker in central Minnesota, and from our satellite office in Branson, Missouri, located more or less in the open, and yet nearly invisible among all the attractions and distractions of Branson. You wouldn't even recognize the satellite office if you looked straight at it. Unless you noticed the small, bright red satellite dish mounted on the roof with the call letters SYSK on the side. We can't tell you exactly where the world headquarters is located in central Minnesota for obvious security reasons, namely for the protection of our priceless vault of classic music. But we can tell you that you can see Lake Wobegon from here. That's right, kiddos. What a combination. We've got the Stones, again, Blondie and the Buggles. I think they should have toured together. Well, well, there we go. There's still time. (laughs) That's a great idea. I'll work on that. (laughs) All right. Highlights of the year, 1981. Ronald Reagan is inaugurated president of the United States. And minutes later, Iran releases the 52 Americans that had been held for 444 days, ending the Iran hostage crisis. And uh, poor Jimmy Carter, you know, why they would release them to Ronald Reagan and not to Jimmy Carter. I I don't know. I don't get that. (laughs) Hard hard to say. Yeah. And then on, uh, on March 6th, Walter Cronkite signs off as the anchor of the CBS News for the last time after 19 years of hosting. And that's the way it is. Friday, March 6th, 1981. I'll be away on assignment, and Dan Rather will be sitting in here for the next few years. Good night. And that's the way it is. <laughs> Friday, March 6th. I double Walter. Bumped him. I double bumped him. Yeah. <laughs> we should he sample that for his time. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, on my birthday, then on March 30th. Now, mind you that Ronald Reagan had only been inaugurated a little over two months earlier. But on my 18th birthday, Ronald Reagan is shot in the chest outside a Washington, D.C. hotel by John Hinckley, Jr., Two police officers and press secretary James Brady are also wounded. So just, you know, within a couple of months of being inaugurated, we already have a presidential assassination attempt, which is just crazy. That's kind of nuts. And then uh, in April 12th, the space shuttle program uh, makes its first trip into space with the mission STS-1, which is the Columbia returns to Earth two days later. Seven months later, uh, in November, STS-2 uh, would launch, and that's also was the Columbia, and the Columbia would uh, complete the first five 
shuttle missions, uh, 27 in all, during a 22-year career before disintegrating during re-entry during its 20th mission, which was STS-107, on February 1st, uh, 2003. That was its, yeah, 28th mission. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, you know, 22 years that, that shuttle flew. Yeah. That's and, an- and initially it was the only one that had been completed. So, you know, it, it, it flew twice in 1981, which I think is pretty impressive to do a seven month turnaround on a, on a ship that had sure. gone into space once. But, um, so yeah, somewhere in, uh, in June of that year, uh, I graduate from high school and then in commemoration of that on August 1st, MTV is launched. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later in this episode. Yeah. And then uh, August 12th, the original IBM PC is released. And it was just in time for you to start school at Mayville State College in North Dakota. So they went from punch cards to PCs in the space of one summer. <laughs> yeah, it's like in the spring I went there and did a, uh, you know, your college visit that you do yeah. when you're, you're looking at colleges and... One of the big deals was these punch card machines where you could type in something and then have it have it have the holes punched in the card that they use to program computers and things. And then when I got there in the fall, the punch card machines were gone, but there was an entire lab of IBM PCs. So and won't go into all that now, but I I, I played a lot on those and learned a lot of things from that from that first machine, even though I'm pretty much a Mac guy right now. But uh and have been for a long time. But. So, yes. And then, uh, hey, it's Simon and Garfunkel. They do their big concert in Central Park. And they figure there were like a half million people there. Free concert in New York. Simon and Garfunkel. Couldn't have gotten better than that. Yeah, that was... And that was the reunion, right? Because they hadn't performed together right, for it, a while. Exactly. That- yeah, well, it was one of their, one of their reunions. One of their reunions. Yes. <laughs> And then September, and then, I'll take this one. September 25th, the Rolling Stones begin their Tattoo You tour at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, well, actually, right now. How about right now? Yes, we have the Tattoo You Tour, and I think this was probably the last great Stone Summer single. Um, once again, and I think it probably was the last time, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I think it was the last time that they actually hit the top 10 in the United States. Yeah, um, you're, you're probably right. But Yeah. So we went, we mentioned in our last episode, if you look, go back and listen to episode seven, that recording for this song actually began during the Some Girls sessions in 1977 was when those sessions were held on the same day that Miss You was recorded. That's and right. uh, that, that's when they first started trying to put together a reggae track called Never Stop. And Keith fi- figures that they must have done like 50, you know, takes of the song at least. And they got bored in the middle, 
and changed it up because all the other takes are reggae-influenced. And in the middle, they change around and they do a, a rock version just to kind of cut out, you know, let off some steam. Right. And it's not until it's not until the Stones decide to tour that they don't they figure they don't have time to go through the whole recording process. They want to tour in 81. They they don't want to spend an entire year recording an album. They want to get out on the road. So their engineer Chris Kimsey says to, to Mick Jagger that we should probably go back and look at this archive of songs that you have because you have all kinds of things where you've recorded at least the music and some guide vocals and things or some ideas, but you have some complete music tracks that we could probably do things with. And that forms the basis of Tattoo You. Right. And and they have both a, a rock side, the, the front side is a rock side that leads off with Start Me Up. And then the back side is more of the ballad side that includes things like Waiting on a Friend and, and some other more esoteric things. But, yeah, Worried About You, and yeah, I just love that second side. Right. So, of course, the song is credited to Jagger and Richards uh, and produced by the Glimmer Twins, as they were known, and played in Keith's open G tuning, which we've talked about previously, on five strings, of course. In fact, if you pull up the tablature for the song that was published uh, at the time, there is only tablature for the top five strings. So, tell me who, tell me about the musicians. Well, of course, there's uh, there's the usual the usual suspects, and uh, of course the others. So we have Mick Jagger uh, leading backing vocals, Keith Richards uh, guitar backing vocals, Ronnie Wood. Guitar and backing vocals, Bill Wyman's on bass and Charlie Watts is on the drums. The uh, additional personnel was uh, Michael Carabello on cowbell. And then uh, Barry Sage has the hand claps on on Start Me Up. The song has kind of a a weird recording history because what they were playing with was basically a rock and roll instrumental version of Never Stop, they were calling it. They come back later, a couple of years later, and decide to completely rewrite the idea, but keep those backing tracks and Mick records. And they come back later and they add in some cowbell and they add in hand claps. And so the song was was done in several layers over quite a period of time before it actually, you know, became the lead single from Tattoo You and one of the Stones' most iconic songs. Because if you go see the Rolling Stones at any time, you can be guaranteed that there are a certain list of songs that you're going to hear, and one of them is going to be Start Me Up. The song hit number two in the United States, kept out of the number one spot. Number seven in the UK. Once again, the Stones do better in the US, probably because... They released it a week before Tattoo You came out, and then they started their tour in the U.S. So I suppose that the tour helped help bump it up a little bit in the U.S. charts. And it was number one in Australia. What kept it out of being number one in the U.S.? Well, believe it or not, <laughs> that, that the Arthur's theme, which is uh, The Best That You Can Do by Christopher Cross and Private Eyes by Hollow Notes. So... I like you know, those songs. I don't like those songs more than I do Start Me Up. <laughs> but Well, you know, it's it's funny because the movie Arthur I loved, and I guess it's because that, that movie was so big, you know, 
that the soundtrack uh, lead single would would be something that would be popular. Private Eyes is cool, but it's not Holland Oates's best best thing. You know, is it is it more iconic or something that should be remembered longer than Start Me Up? I guess right. sometimes it, it takes the test of time. Yeah. Now, even though the single hit number two, Tattoo You, the album actually reached number one in the U.S. charts. And it was their last in a string of number one albums dating back to Sticky Fingers back in 71. So they had a 10-year period where each album that they released hit number one. What did the lyrics mean to this song? Well, basically, it's how about comparing uh, women and sex to cars, you know, with the Jagger being a machine that can't be started up. It can be started up, yes. I need Start to me get some new glasses. <laughs> Start me up, you know, and uh, and then there's, you know, there controversial lyrics that Jagger once in a while on TV appearances has changed, you know, but, uh, so you make a grown man cry gets changed to something else once in a while in there. But, um, um, it was basically such a straightforward, you know, not serious, uh, song about anything, but with such a catchy five string riff in there that, uh, it really, it came out late in the summer, but it really did symbolize that whole uh, Stones summer single, you know, penchant that they had for a right. long time. Yeah, it's that iconic, you know, riff, and then, um, <coughs> excuse me, and then it's like that infectious thump, you know, to the song that was achieved by, you know, one of my heroes, uh, Bob Clear Mountain's fame. That's that bathroom verb, which I've used. <laughs> Many times live, and it's you know it's a process that you know recording some of the songs vocal and drum tracks with with a mic speaker in a bathroom of, of the power station uh, recording studio in New York City. Bathrooms always have always have that reflective tile surface sure. around them. Yeah. So. Have you ever heard anybody cover this song, other than like a you know a bar band, garage band type of thing? I I, I could not really find any. Uh, any covers that were out there that were of note anyway. But, right. But the, you know, the guitar, the uh, the biggest influence would be Keith's five string guitar sound, you know, that whole thing. But uh, right. Yeah. And this was a little bit controversial. Microsoft paid about $3 million to use the song in their windows 95 marketing campaign. And it was the first time that the Rolling Stones allowed a company to use their songs in an advertising campaign. And so Microsoft is paying them money. Um, the tour, I think, was sponsored by what? Jovan? Uh, yeah. Yep. Must so it, yep. this was this was kind of this was kind of the beginning of doing rock tours as a, a virtual company. You, you create a corporation just for the tour, and you get corporate sponsorships and do advertising. And Microsoft ended up being rolled into that too even though they didn't sponsor the tour they they did pay for um start me up and the line you make a grown man cry um got repeated a number of times when the first edition the first rollout of windows 95 had a bunch of bugs in it that were very frustrating to users <laughs> so <laughs> there are, i i know that there are some uh 
uh, sort of sarcastic uh, takeoff tunes along the lines of Al Yankovic. Al Yankovic didn't do one, but uh, there, I, I've heard at least one other one that that somebody did that's very much in that that vein that you make a grown man cry. So, um, yeah, and of hey. course, there's there's another line in there which I I don't think actually ever got it ever got edited out of the the of the radio cut, but it's you. Uh, you you made a grown man cry, but you also made a dead man. Yes, come. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, kid friendly here, okay? Well, <laughs> but it never true, got it, censored. It, it, got no, it sen- never. didn't get censored. It was on the radio, man. So, and then they opened the Steel Wheels tour in '89. You know, a number of years later, with this song, and Steel Wheels was big because. It was a stadium tour that had, at the time, huge corporate sponsorship, more trucks than anything. The Stones came in with a huge lighting rig. They had multiple stages around the country. So while they were playing in one place, another stage was being set up in another one. So it took multiple days to set them up. And um, I remember going to see them at uh, the Metrodome in Minneapolis, and I was up in yeah. nosebleed seats at the time, okay? It was, you know, it was sold out. I was way up there. And I remember, I think Living Color opened for them. Yeah. And, and you, you, Living Color, you can hardly see. They're in this small space down there with just lights on them. And then before the stones came on, all of a sudden, this huge sort of destroyed city set starts to light up, which covers the entire end of the Metrodome. And little lights, red lights and stuff are blinking. And uh, there's some Brian Jones instrumental music going on. And then all of a sudden, the entire front of the stage from left to right, all the way across the Metrodome, across that end, lights up. Huge explosion. And they come out ripping into uh, Start Me Up. And I was like, even back where I was in the nosebleed seats, I was like, holy cow. And then, of course, big video screens and and uh, just a wonderful lighting rig. That was really a fun, yeah, a fun was, show to see. Yeah, because um, I think I, I was at a different show, like a couple of days either earlier or later than you were at the same at at the Metrodome. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, you probably had better seats than I did. No, I was still up in the nosebleed, but it, uh, huh? It was still cool. Well, we we mentioned that tattoo you which featured Start Me Up, was primarily composed of songs that the Stones had in one form or another done, um, you know, before and had in their vaults, had in their recording vaults. And I don't know how bands that keep tape rolling all the time, how they catalog that stuff. I mean, they they must just have an engineer on staff whose job it is to catalog and preserve these tapes in case we ever come back to them. Right. Sort of like Prince has, you know, the legendary vault of unreleased music, but... uh, so did you read you did you see the the note about uh who actually played on uh tops and waiting on a friend? Uh no. Okay. <laughs> hey, all right. So the those those oh, sessions, those, right. those sessions date back to 1972 for the for the Goat's Head Soup album, wow. which which uh they they didn't make the cut for that. They were just things that were being played. So the guitar player on Waiting on a Friend is actually Mick Taylor, not Ron Wood. Wow. wow. So here, here we come out in 1981 with, uh, you know, this great ballad. I can't remember if Waiting on Friend was released in 81 or 82, but um, 
So that many years later, it's Mick Taylor playing guitar. And on tops on the second side, it's also also Mick Taylor. Wow. And unfortunately, the Stones, in their way, forgot to credit Mick Taylor originally, which Mick Taylor took exception to. And so he later demanded, I don't know if he actually sued them, but he said, come on, guys. Right. And so he, he did it. He'd actually, he actually received a share of the album's royalties, especially I would imagine that once Waiting on a Friend was released as a single. And he goes, well, that's me playing on there. So, yes, it was uh, one of the last great hurrahs for the Stones. They've, d- they've done other what I consider very good work since then, great work and great tours. They've been an awesome touring band. But that was the last time they were still sort of in the mindset of, of younger people, I suppose. So We're going to be right back in just a minute after we take a short break. Say it, the man from Mars starts eating cars. Well, then he stops eating cars. That's right. <laughs> well, he was he was pretty did fall. <laughs> I'm good. So why why do you think I included this song in the lineup this week? Well, because it was the first number one song in the U.S. to feature rap. Yes, even though it was Debbie Harry's silly novelty rap. The, the thing about it was that it did actually feature rap. It even included it. The reason the song is called Rapture, one of the reasons is that there's rap in it. Yeah. And it would have been foolish if Debbie Harry and Blondie didn't actually appreciate rap as it was, uh, you know, developing at the time. And But it turns out that they were very much appreciative you know, and and into what was going on, and they name check a few rappers, and and uh, in some way, it sort of helped put rap into a little bit more of a mainstream mode. So, yeah, mainstream, yeah. So it was released in uh, January of nineteen eighty one. It was the second single from uh, Blondie's Idol American album, which I like. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a. Uh, uh, six minutes and thirty-one seconds in the U.S. and uh, four fifty-eight uh, in the U.K. So it was released uh, both as a seven-inch and a twelve-inch single. And the twelve-inch uh, disco mix is much different than that of uh, from the album in, in the seven-inch single, and it includes an additional verse, which makes it forty seconds longer. So. Yeah, so we're we're in the age where the the twelve inch single, of course, is is starting to become a thing for a while for playing yeah. playing in the clubs, and club I think mix. we I think we mentioned that back in the seventy eight show, the previous show, like "Miss You" by the Stones had a twelve inch version, 
And and now it becomes a thing to have that extended 12-inch, quote-unquote, disco mix. Right. Which was probably, you know, a, a remix of the original that was more bass-heavy and, and uh, built up for dancing. But, uh, yeah. So Debbie Harry, who, I, boy, I... I had the hots for her at the time, yes, and she's sir. still she's still a great singer. She's still doing cool stuff he on is. vocals, and then Clem Burke on drums, and he's a maniac, and he's still there. Yeah, and keep Jimmy going. De- Jimmy, Jimmy Destry on keyboards, and Nigel Harrison on bass, and uh, <laughs> Frank Infante on Frank? guitar, Frank and Chris Frank, Stein. Frank Infante. Now, I'll I'll interject here because. Jimmy, Nigel, and Frank, which I didn't know, apparently when they got inducted into the Hall of Fame, not too long ago, right? A couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah. They requested to play. And so there was something that, 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 that happened because Jimmy, Nigel, and Frank are no longer members. And they had asked Debbie to play, you know, for the induction. And she said no. Oh. So, oh, yeah. So there's, there's a little there's a... bit of a... A little bit of a tiff going on in the band. Some intrigue we don't know about. Right. And then we have Chris Stein on guitar and timpani. Who, and of Tom course, Scott is, on is saxophone. Right. And Go ahead. Chris is Debbie's better half. So. Yes, yes. So, they're, they're a team. Yeah, they're a team. Darn and the novelty guy. of the, the novelty of this song, uh, you know, like we mentioned before, it allowed it to reach or was one of the things that got it to the top spot in the Billboard Hot 100. And uh, you had that, you had a a dance single and you had the first taste of rap, as cleansed as it was by a a white girl um, singing something silly or rapping something silly, but with with respect and name-checking, you know, some of these people. So so we said that Rapture, the, the title actually includes a rap, obviously, you know, in the, in the title. And, uh, I said they name checked, you know who they name checked? The, yep. The, they name checked and it was like, uh, the hip hop pioneers like Fab Five, Freddie and, uh, Grandmaster Flash. And, uh, and, and we kind of talked about, you know, the lyrics about the man from Mars starts destroying the, this planet with his insatiable appetite for cars, apparently. <laughs> which was you know that you know in christian christian theology the rapture is when people are right when they, it's, the, it's the apocalypse and people are lifted up to heaven and everything but so in, in a way it was both a nod towards rap and it was a nod toward this apocalyptic vision of, of what's right. going on so <laughs> now i don't know if you remember but when mtv verse first started um, I remember the video. I mean, well, yeah, but there was a reputation, and there was there was some controversy for quite a while that dogged MTV at first in the early days because they were avoiding black artists. They, you know, MTV was very white dominated, That's and true. one of the influential things about Rapture was the fact that we name check black artists and we put a rap into a song we put it into the title and that actually was one of the things one of the part of a number of things because a lot of artists came out and said you can't do this but um it was one of the things that helped get a foothold for black artists and rap and hip-hop culture 
on MTV. Right. Because I remember those days where it's like it's it was a white it was a white guy band paradise. Oh yeah, I mean it was all the eighties. I mean you would see Welcome to the Jungle or you know w- w- whatever probably you know five to eight times a day <laughs> because they only had so many videos. Right. You know. And not not many of high quality. So the the video right. for Rapture was at least interesting and and fun. Um, uh, Grandmaster Flash did a, a scratch mix of Rapture on the adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the wheels of steel. Um, mm. And that's also included. He included the track on his 2002 DJ mix album, Essential Mix Classic Edition. And he edited out all the rap parts, <laughs> 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 which I, I find funny, you know, that's because, okay. <laughs> And there is there is actually a, a long list of people that that covered this, um, you know, did a lot of remixes and samples were used for for things. Um, so it actually it, it had influence beyond what you would think normally by what was a danceable right. track, but a silly rap, and but it was a band that had a certain amount of new wave kind of credibility and and uh new york credibility so well yeah and i think that's the big thing because you know De- debbie harry and blondie but i mean she is the true essential new yorker and so i thought that's why it was not believable but i mean i, I thought that she brought to the forefront you know rap because i mean she uh embraces that whole new york city style and i I think you know they were definitely but uh so so like you said so like in 2005 rapture was mashed with the doors 1971 single (laughs) riders on the storm so they made rapture riders by go home productions and so this unofficial uh mashup remix was later approved by both bands and released as a single Credited to Blondie and the Doors, and so Blondie, I, I I think it's cute because it's Blondie versus the Doors. Oh, there is the credit. Is the credit? Like is the credit w- on the song? WWE. Whatever you know. Whatever whatever happened to this trend of uh, doing mashups for a while? You know that was a thing. They were big. You know, ten 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 twelve years ago, there were a number of those that came out, and right. then they they'd put them up on YouTube or whatever, and they'd get notoriety and. I think maybe YouTube helped actually create yeah, kind of that bring that to the yep. So yep. Let your children play. Here we go. If you give this man a ride, sweet Emily, you'll die. You're on the road. Yeah. Bad vibes, friends on the everybody side. DJ spinning, I said, my my, flash is fast, flash is cool, front plus the bar, flash in on two and. That section of the rap included the Fab Five Freddy and the Flash um, name drops in there, too. So <laughs> there you go. OK, we're going to be right back after this message. Well, maybe one day there'll be a message. Right now, there's just a break. Yeah, there's no message. <laughs> 
There is something so catchy about that song. <laughs> there is. Now, we're including this in the 1981 Highlights show. Um, not because it was released in 1981. It was actually released in, ni- well, in 1979. Yes. Yeah, and actually actually released twice, like by two different bands. Oh. I mean, by, well, we'll get to this in a second, but both of the main authors one of them ended up splitting away, but they did their own version too, which some people prefer. But this is the one that became famous because of something that happened in 1981. Turn it on! Leave it on! America! See the music you want to see! I want my MTV. All right. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. Ow! 24 hours a day on cable TV. I want my MTV, MTV, MTV! Yeah, too much is never enough. Too much is never enough. And this song is remembered why? Well, because it it is the first music video shown on MTV in, in the U.S. Uh, at 12.01 a.m. on August 1st, 1981. So August 1st, 1981, 12.01 a.m. And they actually precede... <laughs> They preceded it with, um, oh, their MTV theme song and then the launch of a space shuttle and an Apollo rocket. That's right. And, and so that was actually the intro. And, uh, and then they went into um, ra- Video Killed the Radio Star, which the song had actually had a lot of critical success, you know, and commercial success before then. But it was very appropriate that... MTV thought, okay, we are changing the way people are going to look at and see music. And for a while they did. For a while they did, until they got stupid. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know that they did. I think they, they, in the end, the internet killed MTV. You know, YouTube killed MTV. If you look at the the highest viewed videos in the history of YouTube, they're all music videos. Well, okay, <laughs> touche, but <laughs> but but answer me this: MTV stopped, in my mind, stopped doing videos long before YouTube kind of came into the picture. Oh no, they they stopped way too early. Yeah, and that they stopped you know, so they that, stopped early early enough that a lot of people like me and you were like, I don't want to watch MTV wow. anymore. I want I want my music television. This yeah. isn't music television. No, I mean, I want fun stuff. I want to go watch this. And, you know, what was funny was, remember uh, early I, I on, so I they would show the videos. I sound like an was old that? guy saying, get, I sound like an old guy saying, get off my lawn. <laughs> this, was a ni- this was a nice lawn here. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, kids know, came, you kids came and peed on it. You know. <laughs> but it's the same thing, because what I thought was funny was we watched MTV for the... Uh, Music. And then, now here's a great idea for rockers. MTV News 
it had nothing to do with what was going on in the world, but it but it had to do with the rock world, you know, or the music world, <laughs> you know. Today, you know, Axl Rose, you know, threw up in public or whatever, and I'm like, <laughs> yes! But I would tune in to watch MTV News. Yep. So... I, you know, I suppose they're chasing chasing advertising, chasing money somewhere. But boy, for a while yeah. there was a golden golden era where if you didn't have cable, but you you got to spend the night in a motel that had that had cable, you were just glued to MTV until your eyes couldn't stay open anymore because it's like, oh, a chance to watch MTV. Oh yeah, I mean, Headbangers Ball. I mean, I th- that was a treat f- for me. <laughs> you know, I loved Headbangers Ball, but that's a different episode. It is. Well, the song was written by Trevor Horn, Jeff Downs, and Bruce Woolley in 1977. It was released in 79, became mega famous in 81. Later, they became known as the Buggles, which was primarily helmed by Horn and Downs because Woolley left to form the Camera Club, which is a band name that I've heard of before. And they recorded their own version of the song because he was one of the writers. So he, he okay. they recorded it too. And the sound, the song sounds like an extended jingle. It's like a, a disco rhythm. The Buggles version has a lot of different processing to the voices and, and stuff. It had a vision to it. The single is just three minutes and 25 seconds. The album version plays for a little bit longer because I think there's a coda at the end that fades into some other stuff but. oh yeah so talk about these musicians though <clears throat> so like you said so the, the, there's uh trevor horn who is the songwriter producer bass and vocals jeff downs songwriter uh producer keyboards and percussion bruce woolley uh songwriter and guitar paul robinson played drums linda jardin uh was backing vocals dave birch was lead guitar gary langan was a uh, mixer and recording and hugh uh Pagnum was recording the audio engineer, and then John Dent mastered it. So, so we're recording. We're including the recording engineer and the mastering guy because this song very much was produced, you know, as an experience for a certain reason. The entire right. album was. But oh, I don't want to forget too that Debbie Doss was another the other backup vocalist, the other female backup vocalist. But yeah, I mean that was. I was wondering why you included that until, like you said, because. Let's face the facts, and I would like to research this, as we do here at Songs You Should Know. I bet you that the, the song was never played live, right? <laughs> oh, actually, it has been. Really? Yeah. By? Yes. Trevor by does it now. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, then let's edit that out. <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, keep it because because it is well, it's highly it's produced. A, but yeah, it's, but nowadays nowadays what 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 you do is you trigger all kinds of samples with a keyboard and right. stuff. And and no, they 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 actually have done it live. So. Yeah. So for you know 1981, that's not bad. I mean, it it's sure. And and VH1, and, you know, <laughs> VH1 gave it number 40 on their list of 100 greatest one hit wonders of the 80s. So the 80s was a great time for one-hit wonders because the Buggles really only had one mega hit. And it was Video Killed the the Radio Star. And it did make quite a large worldwide hit. Although it took longer for it to hit in North America, and I think that's because of until the MTV thing hit, 
you know, and there had already been some buzz going on about it, it really didn't, uh, it really didn't do so well or as well in North America as it did around yeah. the world. So talk about the lyrical meaning. <laughs> well, yeah, well, hey, we have a long history of promoting new technologies. This is the next greatest thing. And yet, at the same time, we worry about the effects of that new technology. What is it wiping out? So we talk about automation, you know, in society and, and robotics and how efficient, you know, factories are now, down to the fact that you can check out at Walmart by yourself or check out at the grocery store sure. by yourself, the whole self-checkout thing. The positive side is like that's very convenient for customers and customization. The negative side is... If there are eight self-checkout lines at Walmart and one person supervising them, then there are probably seven less checkout people with a job. So there's That's always true. there's always a downside to technology and the, and the whole idea of video coming along and killing the radio star because video was more important. So, so the lyrical meaning and actually of their entire album was all about this you know, the worrying about technology. And Trevor Horn read a science fiction story about an opera singer in a world without sound. And so she was suddenly obsolete. There's no sound here. Yeah. So uh, the influence, I mean, you know, there's covers and uh, soundtracks. So the, the song has been covered fairly often by the likes of the presidents of the United States of America. Uh, from the Wedding Singer soundtrack, which I'm going to have to go back and watch that now because I guess I they don't remember were, that. And they but. had a video out for it too, but it was fairly well, – their version Their version pays pretty close homage to the Buggles version. It's not – they didn't do anything strange with it. They actually tried to play it pretty straight, which is interesting. And then Ben Folds 5, I'm sure he changed that because I've – I've worked with him before. The Violent Femmes, who I'm a huge fan of. I'd like to hear that one. The Pixies, I would like to hear the Offsprings version because I, I did not know that they've uh, done that because they're, that's uh, interesting. Radiohead, and of course, yes, Alvin and the Chipmunks have done a version. Probably the most the most commercially uh, viable of, of all the covers. It's something so appropriate about the chipmunks covering this song. Yeah. <laughs> the, chipmunk, the, the chipmunks who aren't a real band, okay? Right. They're fictional chipmunks. They're not even real. <laughs> <laughs> They're cartoon so it's, characters. It's like another <laughs> it's like another layer of ironic comment on technology <laughs> that well, that we go back. It's at, a parody <laughs> on a parody, so it's like, you know, that's yeah. great, man. I mean it's and the, the technology to the technology to do what the chipmunks, the quote unquote chipmunks do, was done back in the fifties. Right by again, and we talked in an earlier show about uh, Lindsey Buckingham and other. Oh, the 
the guitar intro on Casey and the Sunshine right, Band. Right, yeah. yep. So they, they slow the tape down to half speed. Like, so they, they record all the backing tracks. They right. record the tape down to half speed. They sing along with that, and then they speed the tape back up. And you're still in key playing with instruments that sound normal, but all of a sudden your voice is like a chipmunk. And so, <laughs> anyway, there's a long history of doing this stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, um, that, that's the beauty of... <laughs> who thinks of that stuff? Apparently not us. You know? Well, I, I, I think um, Les Paul was probably one of the first to really experiment with that stuff, guitar-wise. Guitar um, right. Um, I used to teach film studies. And if you've ever seen Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole story is about the changeover from, talk, from silent pictures to talking oh. pictures. And it's very similar where there were people that looked good in silent pictures, but once talkies came along, you realized they didn't sound so good. They didn't sound like what you thought they would sound like when you had their voice in your head watching a silent movie. So a lot of silent movie actors suddenly were out of work and no longer as needed. But if you could sing and you had a nice deep voice or an interesting voice... All of a sudden, you became stars, and right. so it, it, the whole idea of sound pictures killing the silent picture stars was, I think, the genesis for the whole idea of things like, you know, video killed the radio star, and the jazz singer is also about the, the original jazz singer, um, which is partly silent, and then Comes towards to, yeah. towards the end, it goes, you ain't heard nothing yet, and all of a sudden, there's talking, um, and then even Queen. You know, they're, well, yeah, they're, because I was going to say because I I do remember uh, you know Queen's uh, radio Gaga, Gaga I guess, but I mean it, if you listen to that, they're talking about the demise of radio, and that was probably what in the mid eighties. Well, yeah, was, and then they they did the big live was it Live Aid performance uh, yep, at? Live Aid yep. where where that shot from the stage of everybody clapping in time yep. then was like that was crazy. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, if they only knew, I mean, fast forward to now, if, you know, Freddie was still alive, he... Right. But... All right, what did Trevor and Jeff go on to do? So, Trevor Horn and Jeff Downs, which I did know of the Buggles, replaced Rick Wegman and John Anderson in Yes. What? And then and Downs not, left. I'm, I'm not dissing Downs him, left. Well, yeah. So, then he's like, eh. So, um, uh, the Buggles, uh, did record a second album, 81. Then while recording that, uh, Downs was invited to, to join the band Asia. So then Horn decided to finish the album with musicians from both Yes and the Camera Club. So it was just a very incestuous time, man. Those yeah. Bands just those English, those English guys called England. <laughs> so when, when MTV went on the air and started playing the video, Trevor Horn was on tour with Yes. <laughs> And all of a sudden, kids are recognizing him on this Yes tour. And he's getting all this recognition. And he's like, oh, that's nice. But why? (laughs) And it's because. (laughs) Yeah, here's why. (laughs) It's because you're on MTV, dude. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back with some trivia. Here we go.
All right. We're in. All right. Ready? We're going to come in with some trivia if you're ready. You got a, you got a smoker's cough? What the hell's going on with you? No, I got... Um, Allergy stuff going allergies on? Allergies going on. So, mm. All right. I'm ready. Here we, here we go. All right, we're back for some trivia time, and I'm going to go easy on you this week. Why? <laughs> why well, why see, start now? Well, sometimes what I think is easy turns out not to be easy. So, uh-huh. Some of these things, I'm going to give you song lyrics from 1981, okay. and you have to tell me who sang them. If you want, I'll give you choices, and you can pick okay. from the choices. Some of them are tough because unless you hear the lyrics in cadence or you hear them sort of sung, you don't recognize where they're from. All right. Okay. So we'll start it. We'll start out with an easy one, right? And I, in my, in my mind, this is easy. So number one, they don't write them like that anymore. They just don't write them like that anymore. What band sang that? Uh, Greg Kinn. It was the Greg Kinn band. Yes. And that was called the breakup song. The breakup song. Yeah. All right. All right. This one, this one, depending on where your head is at, could be tough or easy. Uh-oh. Okay. Temptation, frustration, so bad it makes him cry. I know this, too. Ooh! Hold on. I'm going to have to have a uh, multiple choice on this. I'll get it, but... How about how about this? Okay. Temptation, frustration, oh, so it. bad it makes Oof. him cry. The police, um, don't stand so close to me. There you go. Oof. So you didn't need choices. You just needed to hear the context. That's right. You got to hear it in, <laughs> in, in in cadence. There you go. All right. This one I don't I don't I can't sing for you, but I can say it. All right. You said I'm so crazy for coming home intoxicated. Wow. Hmm. You want some choices? Yeah, because, but before you give me choices, I'm going to just go out there and say, is this a, a Billy Joel song? It is not. Dang it. Okay. I need choices. It would fit, <laughs> it would fit some Billy Joel periods in his life. Yeah. No, it was not. Okay. Yarbrough and Peoples, Lee Rittenauer, Rick James, or The Afternoon Delights. You said I'm so crazy for coming home intoxicated. Well, let's go with Afternoon Delights. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a real name. Um, anyway, it's Rick James. Give it to me, baby. Really? Go, yes. dang it. All right. All right. This one you should get. You see it all around you. Good loving, gone bad. I should get it. Good loving, gone bad. I got to think of it. Let's see. Hmm, I'm going to have to have some... Do I get choices on this you one? see it all around you. All right. Oh, okay. The, nope, nope. I got it now. See it all around you. Good, uh, 38 Special. Yes. Um, Do you remember the name? Hold the name on loosely. Hold on yes, loosely. Yes, it was. There you, go. there you go. See? Once in a while, you can just grab into those synapses. Yeah, it's all that. Fire them up. It's all in context. <laughs> 
All right. This one, I don't know the melody to. I, I mean, I could pull it up, but I just... Should I be reading Stop or Go? I don't know. Hmm. Your choices... 81, right? So, yeah, yeah, choices. Your choices are Blue Oyster Cult, Genesis, George Harrison, or Elton John. Genesis. It is. Genesis. Do you know the song? Um, Shabby Freaking Stop or Go. I don't know. Ah, uh, is it, is the name of it, um, I can't think of the name of it. It's No Reply at All. Okay. Yep, No Reply at Now I know it. Duh. <laughs> Number six. Okay. We bought a six-pack at the liquor store, and we drank it in her car. My favorite, my favorite, not only Christmas song, but just song. So it's Old Lang Syne, and it is by, I sometimes get, I get this wrong. It's not, uh, it's not Christopher Cross. It is the other dude. It is, um, but it's Old Lang Syne, or same Old Lang Syne. Same Old Lang Syne, yep. And it is, don't tell me, it's not Christopher Cross, it is, dang it, I can't think of his name, but I love that song. Dan Fogelberg. Dan Fogelberg. Love that song. Okay. Number seven. I don't really mind how much you love me. A little is really all right. Can you sing it in context and then I'll get it? <laughs> well, maybe. I don't mind. I don't really mind how much you love me. A little is really all right. That wasn't quite the right melody, but it's the right Close. Oh, I'm going to need uh Dang it. I'm going to need choices. Ario, Ario Speedwagon. Air Supply. The Who. Don McLean. So it's the who, and it's, uh, I don't mind how much you love me, little's all right. Do, do, do. Uh, your dog keeps licking my face. Uh, right. You better, you better, you bet. You better, you bet. There yeah. we go. I love that song. Yep. <laughs> I was going to get there eventually, kids, and I did. So. All right. Number eight, but there ain't no point talking. There ain't no point in talking when there's nobody listening, so we just ran away. One more time. Give me that one because I think I have a different song in my head. There ain't no point in talking when there's nobody listening, so we just ran away. I'm going to say Bruce Springsteen, I think. But there ain't no point in talking when there's nobody listening, so we just ran away. Oh, well, okay. I'm going to strike that. <laughs> I'm going to put on some leopard skin uh, <laughs> pants, get out of my best Rod Stewart hairdo, and... Uh, Say Young Turks. It is Young Turks. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Love that, See? Love that song. Just hearing the cadence sometimes. Yep. Not my not my singing, but the cadence. No, it's the cadence, people. Cadence. All right. Number nine, darling, don't say a word, because I already heard what your body's saying to mine. Woo. AB1, right, darling? Um, I'm going to need some choices, but... Juice Newton, Juice Newton, Donna Summer, the Pointer Sisters, or a Taste of Honey. Dang it. Well, I'm rolling the dice on this one. 
Taste of honey? It's not a taste of no, honey. That was too early. I want a lover with a slow oh, hand. Pointer Sisters. Dang pointer it. Pointer Sisters. Yep. All right. Last one. All right. People say, people say I'm lazy, dreaming my life away. Well, they give me all <laughs> kinds of advice designed to enlighten me. <clears throat> one more time. People. People say I'm lazy, dreaming my life away. Well, they give me all kinds of advice designed to enlighten me. I don't think that's the right melody, but it's no, but the right it's close. Ah, I'm going to need uh, some choices. But your choices are the Almond, the Almond Brothers Band, John Lennon, Phil Collins, or Don McLean. John Lennon. People say I'm lazy. <laughs> Dreaming my life away. So the name of the song is, uh, I'm just sitting here watching wheels go round and round. Yep. Right? Watching, watching the wheels just, is the name of the song. See, there you go. Watching the wheels. You got it. Excellent. See, I was fairly easy on you this week. It was. <laughs> All right. Well, um, if you want to know more about this stuff, you can go to songsyoushouldknow.com more about this episode and other episodes. And, of course, we don't make this stuff up. We don't even know all of this in our heads. We just have lots of compartmentalized knowledge stuck in there somewhere and a few experiences along the way. But like everybody else, we turn to Google, Wikipedia, <laughs> Song so, Facts. <laughs> every, we turn to everything, the entire Internet, people. Come on. We turn to the YouTube, entire Internet. Google. And you can, you can do it as well. So until next time.